0: We welcome all of you that are tuning in and listening, watching, and hopefully receiving. We uh, this morning I'm going to give the last part of my State of the Union address. Of what we're what in the month of January we try to set a course and set a tone and goals of what we believe the word of the Lord is to us in this house.
1: <clears throat>
0: and so I've been doing that for all of you that. Haven't been here, haven't been listening, catch up. All these four messages I think are very important. And this will be the the, the last one. They, they still go together with everything, that the word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's just, This is a preceding word here. This isn't something we just pick and choose. But So it, it will be in context, but it's emphasizing this year, 2021. Now, uh, I do appreciate you know, all of those that are responding, you know, we, if you receive from me teaching the word, then you should tithe here. You should tithe us, all of you that are doing that. I think it's wonderful. I think it's being great, especially if you can't have your butt here, your buck needs to be here. To me, that's a sign of really being joined somewhere, your butt and your buck. And so uh, all of those that can't be here and those that live in other states and other places that have been broadcasting, I mean, I do appreciate all the, the kind words and and the reports of how the Word is helping you and changing you and strengthening you and enlightening you. So uh, so this is your chance now. We've already honored the Lord with our tithes and offerings, and it's now your time to do it. You should stop right now, and you should text it. You should eat whatever we do. Venmo. What else we do? Venmo. Cash App. Huh? Eat eat, whatever. We got them all. I think Jonathan has them all covered. I went to a store the other day, and they said they didn't take American Express. I said, why? You would think that you would take any kind of money possible, in any way you can make a payment somewhere, I want I want them all, don't you? So anyhow, I thank you for that. You know what we've said that for this year, our, our goal this year of what we're doing, the economy of God for this house this year is, those that are helping with the insurance payment, we've had many already. I don't know the whole tally of that yet, but like always, you always respond, and uh, all I have to do usually just give you that opportunity. And thank you. And those that are going to, I'm going to receive it up till the end of no, uh, February. Uh, also, we're, we've got our regular tithes and offerings, and you know my belief is we should be increasing that because if we're doing that, Yahweh gives us increase, so it should always be increasing. Number three is our first fruit offering and number four is what i've asked you to do to provoke us to move us into a place of faith and not a a poverty mentality and that is just to give one extra weekly tithe a month and what we're going to designate that as and call that is it's going to be a building money because the fact of the matter is tithes are not really supposed to be for the building For the temple that's offerings and i sure don't want to be guilty of not giving you an opportunity to give toward the upkeep of the house and the building and all that so anyhow that's what we're doing this year i want to begin this next message and this is something that's been in my heart for uh, this whole month and everything has kind of developed into this message and and i started thinking about this term and so the title of this message is The Eternal Revenue Service. I think it's funny. The Eternal Revenue Service. Because I tell you, people are so afraid of the IRS, aren't they? Oh, they're not listening. They're so afraid of it. Oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm the IRS. And even if people say, hey, screw the IRS, guess what? They're always in fear about if they actually might screw you back. What are we going to do? Oh, no, my God. oh I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that people are more worried about their credit report on some, you know, temporal, materialistic stuff than we are about our credit report before God. And all it does, it just proves that we really don't believe that God is who he said he is and that he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. So Yahweh's database administrator is going to give us a pre-refund audit today. Yahweh's database administrator, the Spirit Word, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the man of God, is going to give you a pre-refund audit. Pre-refund audit. Because a lot of people ain't going to get a refund. And I think this will help us with filing in our doing, being fiscally accountable to Yahweh during the 2021 calendar year. And we got to make sure that we are not declining in our responsibilities of the requirements that Christ has on us. The demands of Christ. I asked a guy recently, I said, man, that's good on that. But what are you going to do with the demands of Christ? What he demands, what are you going to do? And hopefully today, what we're going to do, we're going to get current today. So we can go into the year 2021 because I want to make sure that when you stand before Yahshua that day, that you're going to have every opportunity to give him and make sure you're filing an accurate return. Now that's my IRS terminology. I actually Googled database administrator. So I want to go to something that those that have been with me for years and years and years Know that building the temple in Nehemiah's time is a very special word. Isn't that right, Barbara? What a prophetic word we had years ago, and I've seen that thing develop over all these years, which seems long to me, but for Yahweh, it's nothing but a grass, a vapor. And I'm going to read chapter 13. I'm just going to read out of chapter 13, and We'll start around verse 4, but I'm going to kind of go through it and not go through every little thing. It says this But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king, and that's kind of why I liked this guy's name is Artaxerxes, Artax, Eternal Revenue Service. Never mind. I thought it was witty. In the second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Now, this is Nehemiah talking. Sometime later, I asked his permission to come back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, and I threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the room, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense." Now, one of the things that I was, have been praying for, and I don't like the word, but I've prayed this word anyhow, for a revival. Now, you've got to understand, when I say the word revival, it ain't just us being revived. It's, I mean, a revival is every, every service, every night, sometimes during the daytime, and we, you know, we're looking for God to do something you know, like He did in the past. Well, I don't want, I'm not looking and satisfied with something God might have done in the past. I'm looking for what He needs to do in us now for the future it ain't a new thing there ain't no new thing with God it may be new to us but it ain't new with God he is the same-o same-o he said I am the same-o same-o so after seeing that Israel had this great revival and they rebuilt the temple and all this stuff what I noticed in every single story of the Bible how prone it is for people to fall back into sin and fall back into compromise. It's simple for us to fall. Let me tell you why. I hope this is fresh. Is this fresh this morning? Thank you. You know how I know? It's, it's in your DNA. Adam and Eve fail in the garden. So it's easy for us to fall. It's easy for us to fall back into sin. It's easy to fall back into compromise. I'm going to tell you, I've been telling you, I think, this whole past year, probably forever, and that is that it's easy to get lukewarm. It's simple to backslide, however word you want to use. It's easy to compromise. It's easy to go back. It's, our spiritual life is like walking or swimming up a stream, and, and if we're not fighting to move forward, then we are by default going backwards. And I've seen it. In my short lifetime, at this point in this chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had returned to Persia from, they don't even tell how long, but it was for a while. And his second term began approximately nine months after, excuse me, nine years after he left. And while he was gone, it seemed like old Ezra had either died or he was replaced as the scribe by Zadok. And he returned when, when Israel, I mean, Nehemiah finally went back to Israel. What he found out is after all that God had done and rebuilt the temple by miraculous things and all these wonderful things in these people's life, defeat them from their enemies, provided and they just got just so blessed and they had plenty and all those things, he saw that Israel had reneged on the majority of its commitments which they made to God in chapter 10. You would think that. And it's surprising because you would think that after all that Yahweh had done for them, man, God saved me from this. God delivered me from that. He healed that. He watched my children. He, all these things that we talk about, how great what God had done, and how it seems like, you know, they had had this real genuine repentance. They were really sorry. And that it wasn't just because they got caught. They were really repentable, repented, excuse me. Sounded like a story familiar to me. I saw it happen with Israel all through the Bible and all these other people. But this morning, what I'm talking about in Israel, I'm talking about us. Because, see, I'm going to give account to God. He ain't, you ain't, she ain't, she ain't, you ain't, he ain't. I will give account account to God for your souls. What happens to you spiritually, I am being held responsible for. So that's a big deal to me. So right now, today, I'll be honest with you, what's happening outside this house and around the world and in Washington, it's my priority. We're talking about us. And as I said last week, individual greatness for this church, this church will never be great corporately if it's not great individually. If we're not fighting to move forward, then we're sliding back. And many of us have known because we've awakened out of our slumber and found out That we're way down the the trough to where we were one day before. And it seemed like it happens just like that before you know it. Guys, that very thing is the reason that we we have to be relentless in seeking to practice a holy life. And fighting for holiness in our personal lives and in this house. There is a continual apathy that draws upon us. And others toward spiritual decline. How many of you know that the law of gravity is forever pulling us down? I joke about it. I say, man, it, it, what goes up must come down. You can look in the mirror and see we're being sucked right back to the dirt. Because things are drooping. When I look at Nehemiah 13, and as I went back and, and many, many years ago about this word, That's never left my heart or my mind. It can seem very pathetic what happened to Israel. But I believe that over my 64 years, I think it's typical. After such a great revival and people get to this big high and they get on this big blessing of God and and God has done all these wonderful things for us, I think that we have the potential to let apathy draw us back to a place of compromise, lukewarmness, or whatever. I have to tell you, for me personally, it can be very depressing for me because I see so many people who faint. People who come and they do come into a church, well, hallelujah, look what God's doing. This is wonderful, grace, thing blah. And they don't endure. They faint. I can't feel sorry for myself because Yahshua in John 6 six six (laughs) he said are y'all gonna faint also the only ones that stood away around had the understanding of this that we have nowhere else to go only you have the words of life I, i have hope though i have hope i can also can see hope in this man nehemiah who was zealous for god nehemiah was zealous four times he prays for yahweh to remember his works he was a man who wanted to please God. It's like I said either last week or Wednesday night when I shared Joel got poked in the aisle both of his eyes Wednesday night. And uh he got a Uber or I mean Goober, Goober got him, not Uber. Got a ride to church. So I did Wednesday night and i, I said, look, you know, I was med- meditating on this and praying before God. And I said, Yahweh, I don't I don't want to be a pain to you. And I said, you know, all children can be a pain. And I had to apologize. So you know, because I don't think our children, my children are a pain. But look, when you love somebody so much, and, and when you get when you have children, you'll know what the pain is I'm talking about. There's nothing quite more painful than your worry, concern, and all that about your kids, and they can be like 68 years old, and, and their 80 year old mama still worrying about them. I said, I don't want to be a pain to you. I don't want to be a pain to you that you're all. I'm always, you know, uh, double minded. I love you today, I don't love you tomorrow. You know, you did this for me, hallelujah, now I'm mad at you. And oh, you can do anything, God, uh, where are you at, God? I mean, I don't want to be that. Let me tell you what, God will never make, God is not ready to make a commitment to double-minded people. He just ain't going to do it no more than you would a woman who can't make her mind up whether she wants to marry you or Billy Bob. Well, I, tell you, I can make your mind up for you. And we're like that, well, let's see, I want to live for God, I don't want to live for God. I'm going to serve God, or I'm not going to serve God. Okay, I'll do it, but I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to be lukewarm about it. I'm going to halfway do it, and I'm not going to go all the way. Yahweh, don't, Yahweh is not prepared to make a commitment to that. This, I don't want to be a pain. And I know this. I know that there's always hope for me because I'm zealous for God. And I know there's always hope for this house because there is a remnant of people who are zealous for God. Yahweh still uses people like Nehemiah and people like John the Baptist, these godly leaders who are zealous to turn individuals back toward the right way. Can we quit going this way? Can we go back that way? That's where, what I'm talking about. Nehemiah was really a type of Yahshua. He was a mortal angel, so to speak. I think about well, Yahshua, man. I think Yahshua was pretty zealous, don't you think? Yeshua went into the temple and he pulls this whip out and he turns over tables and harshly rebuked all these leaders of Israel. John chapter 2 verse 17, scripture says that the zeal for the house of Yahweh consumed Yeshua. He was consumed for the zeal of God's house to the point that he would get ticked off, come in turning tables over and whipping folks. I told a guy before, I said, look, Jesus ain't that nice. He wasn't that nice of a guy. You know, y'all all buttered him up and watered him down and all. He would not He didn't even have his hair blow dry like in the pictures, you know. I mean, he, he, he wasn't that nice of a guy. And I said, you know, even the word nice didn't even mean nice years ago. They even Somebody even hijacked that word. And some people get mad at me because I say, Yahshua isn't nice. Well, he's not. He's not this little nice guy that, you know, are you okay today? Into my heart. We're talking about the king of glory. You're talking about some guy that's so badass. Oops, did I say that? That, that, You know what he did? He he overcame sin and never sinned one time. Who's badder than that? Who's bad? Don't get me going here. Nehemiah was the same thing. When he came back and he saw what had... Taking place in the temple. He throws a guy out of the temple who was defiling it. He rebuked everybody for their lack of faithfulness in their giving to the house of God. He locked people out of the city who were abusing the Sabbath. He pulled, listen to this. He pulled out the hairs of those who married foreign women in order to get them back to God. I'll get you back to God. Pull their hair out. Oh, brother Nehemiah. This man was consumed about seeing Yahweh's glory in Israel. I'm consumed about seeing Yahweh's glory in this house. What about Ocala? And what about the world? No, you know, I remember when I was young, I was gonna, we were going to take a city, and you know, I'm going to take in a city. And I found out that I had to take a, something way more difficult that, than that. The Bible says, for me be able to control myself and have authority over me is greater than a man who can take a city. So I've been working on this city and now this city. Yahweh's calling this house. We have been called. He continues to call to be a house in this generation and for us to be zealous for personal holiness and and to have a holy temple of God, our house of Yahweh, house number three. He's looking to raise people up who are consumed with the zeal for the house of God today. Using this passage of scripture, I want us to look at some signs and some things about the possibility of spiritual decline in our own spiritual lives. And then when February comes, since it's Valentine's Day, I'll preach all on love for the whole month for you. And I'm hoping we can have some cupids hanging down from the ceiling. And then maybe some of you guys could dress up like cupids on a couple of Sundays. And we'll just just praise our sweet Jesus together. In this text, did you say you volunteer? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I thought. I was a... Oh, not just no, yeah. In this text of Nehemiah and this thing, I want to use it to kind of see the common signs of, and you know, because it's no different. Humans are all the same. I don't care. Everywhere I go, there there's a there's somebody like you there. Do you hear what I just said? There's somebody like you there, and I'm praying that. In 2021, we're going to get that right because the eternal revenue service is checking us out. What's a sign of spiritual decline for us? I'll tell you what it is. When our church leaders compromise, in chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, it says, Before this, Elisha, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, who, of course, was one of Nehemiah's arch enemies, and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and temple articles and the tithes of grain and new wine and oil prescribed for the Levites as well. Let's see, and it goes on to say, yeah. So what was happening here, here, Elisha had allowed Tobias, the enemy, to to have his stuff in the place where it was reserved for god's stuff even the tithe and stuff well we're going to give him that room In this text we look at it and apply it to ourselves. it shows us how israel had compromised what was happening i mean what was happening how showed how israel compromised and they broke all these commitments if you ever want to study again to find out what they were that they made in chapter 10. It's no surprise that when he started to list their sins, guess what he did? He starts with the leadership. In 2021, I'm looking for some men who won't compromise. Some real leaders. So this house can bring glory to God, the high priest. Here the guy, these they were disrespecting God by allowing an Ammonite official in the temple. And i got people concerned about Democrats being in the White House. I think we should be more concerned about letting Ammonites in the house of God. Or leadership, supposedly. He gave Tobiah. This guy had persecuted the Jews. He gave them a room in God's house. This is how moral compromise often begins. It will happen usually in the leadership. The leadership starts to compromise. Well, I don't want to do that. But I mean, no, now, oh, God delivered them and saved them and helped this and saved that for them and their family, their marriage, their life, their home. Yeah, but now all of a sudden, man, I don't know. Dis- disobedience starts coming. Disregard for what the Bible says, which affects all the people. When the leadership doesn't respect, when the leadership doesn't obey the law of God, guess what? It's hard for the rest of the people to do it. Because they will nothing more, if nothing else, psychologically say, he don't. And especially when leadership whispers in the ears of others and says, I got well, we do this, everybody. You don't have it. And murmuring complaining against God's way. And you can look through the scriptures, you see the effects of bad leadership through all the scriptures. Solomon, supposed to be the smartest man to ever lived. Compromise. You know what he did? By marrying pagan women, even though God said, don't do it. He did it anyhow. Don't you do that. But he's Solomon. He had all this stuff now. He had all this money. I watched the Tiger Woods documentary. It was a part one and two. And so I had a guy tell me, he was like, you know, Tiger Woods, he's an daughter. I said, the only reason you ain't one is because you can't afford it. Don't tell me if one of your contracts is $90 million a year. You have no inclinations or any idea of ideas about the Bible and all that. You have a yacht bigger in the church. You got your own you got the famed people worshiping you. I wouldn't be so quick to judge him. Especially when you're you can't even tithe to God. Especially you're gonna judge God with He you can't even come to church twice a week. You can't even you don't even pray. Or have time for that kind of stuff. I don't judge Tiger Woods. I don't watch him for his moral code anyhow. I'm trying to swing like him. Solomon, here he is. He's going to got blessed. He got everything, more than everything, more than nothing. So guess what he starts doing? Marrying pagan women, even though the law of God said don't do it. And guess what? The result was all of Israel got led astray, and they began to worship idols. There you go. The book of Kings shows us another pattern of Israel's, let's call them stumbles. When Israel had a good king, guess what? Israel start following God. They have a bad king, guess what? They start compromising. For every Josiah, Asa, and Jehoshaphat, there was a Jeroboam, Jehu, and Ahab. For every good king, there were bad kings who would come in and lead the nation astray. During the time of these kings, not only was the government corrupt, but so were people in the church or the ecclesia. Listen, right before God judged Israel by using Assyria, Yahweh spoke through the prophet Hosea and he rebuked the priest. Now listen to what he said. The more the priest increased, the more they sinned against me. What does that mean? When leadership increases, the more we increase, the more we get, the more stuff we have. Guess what? The more they, he wants to bless them, but guess what? He did bless them, but guess what? They sinned more and more. He said they exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their lick, wickedness, and it will be like people. Like priest, I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Let me tell you, I know this is talking about Israel, but that's the principle of God. If you're a Christian here today, you are a chosen generation. Listen to me. A royal, there you go. That's talking about you, Johnny. you daggum right, is talking to me. And I already confessed, twice as much for me. But for people who are supposed to be leaders in a house of God, there's a responsibility. But the fact is, these leaders were sitting just like the people. Yahweh promised punishment, so we have these theological and moral compromises among leadership in churches, and this is what happens. and, and so, in other words, we compromise our moral code, standard, and we compromise what the Bible really says, and those kind of things. Those two things. I don't. I don't really. I don't. I'm not going to do what the Bible says, theological, and then I'm going to. Cheat, steal, lie, commit adultery, or whatever it is, have a moral problem. And what it does, it, that kind of thing will always proceed to lead other people astray. fact is, Yahshua in the gospel. During his time, Israel was being run by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had corrupted the teaching of the Scriptures, and they, guess what happened? They led the people away. What do you think has happened to modern Christendom? Leadership led people away. So they don't even know what their their goal is. They don't even know what happens to people when they die. They don't even know that there's only one name, even though the Bible says there is only one name. They think, well, Jesus is nice. I already told you it's not. Let me tell you what he did. He spent a significant amount of time correcting, rebuking, who? Those leaders. Why is leadership here so important? Let me give you a scripture in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Listen listen to this. A student is not above his teacher, or a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. What a crazy verse. It is enough... Let he be as his master. I want to tell you about Ecclesia. Y'all listen to me. The church will go no farther than the church leadership. Leaders create the ceiling in Ecclesia. If we have leadership that don't obey the Bible, if we have leadership that's not on fire for God, no wonder the, the light in the Ecclesia is so dim. Everybody, let me finish this today. I not you hear the Spirit of God and Word of God today. Look in 2 Timothy said he he said that their church would not be able to stand sound doctrine and therefore would heap unto the teachers to itch their ears and to say what they wanted to hear. I've always preached that and believed, and I know it has, it has to do with people who were preaching, men who were pastoring or whatever, who were, who were preaching false gospel and false doctrines and all those kind of things, and people, you know, babying the people and, and telling them all what they want to hear. But i, I got to tell you something. Like the pri- high priest then, why do we compromise? I think it's for the same reasons. We develop our own doctrine of what we believe as a man or a woman, and then we, we, even though these high priests had just read out of the Bible, in Nehemiah chapter 13, that Moabites and Ammonites cannot enter the temple. Guess what they did? They let them in the temple. Just read it and let them in. Does that not baffle you? So let's apply that to us. We just read this. We know what we say we believe, and yet we just turn around and compromise it. So why do we do that? I'll give you some ideas. Well, the Bible's not perfect. This is what I hear. The Bible has contradictions. Yeah, I, I used to think that, too, when I was ignorant. The Bible has no contradictions. There's none whatsoever. We just don't understand the Bible. But it's a, it's a scapegoat that down inside, that thing that really says this, you know, hey, 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 uh, is there really a God? You're always going to have that come to your head. You're going to have to deal with that. Well, there's maybe the saint a God. Well, I guess what? I guess if there's no God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. Maybe there's no God. Maybe, maybe the Bible, you know, the scripture is, I like this one. It's just not relevant for today. <laughs> yeah. God is no longer relevant and you and I are. <laughs> That's pretty. Well, Maybe Yahweh wasn't really the author of every portion of the scripture. And, and so we... We convince ourselves that because we don't understand it, then that we can, we just begin to pick and choose what we think is okay and what's not okay. I I think these are things that are psychologically problems we deal with that gives us the excuse to compromise. And we are pretty good in convincing other people about certain things. You know, I told a salesman one time he was, he was selling, I'm not going to tell what it was. It was, it was a piece of of, uh, it was a vacuum cleaner, okay, that's what it was. And he was telling me how great a salesman he is, and I said, you are. The greatest salesman you are is when you sell yourself that load of malarkey about yourself. You have sold yourself a bill of goods about you that just is a lie. You are a great salesman, sir. I think this happens often. I think we think that we can do this or not do that. And we're, there's no consequences. We don't know that what we do and we disobey God, that it will destroy and bring death to whatever we're dealing with. Things like unforgiveness and things about lying and things about, you know, it brings death. You can't avoid it. See, people think that, that Yahshua on the cross appeased God of sin. God ain't ever going to be appeased with sin. You understand me? He despises it and He hates it. Yeah, but Yahshua, no, God still hates sin. This is what I think happens. I think instead of submitting to the Word of God, we stand in judgment over it. I think it was last night. My granddaughter was had a big bowl of something to eat at the bar. And Bevy goes up and says something to her about it. She said, don't judge me. Isn't that correct? Don't judge me. I think that we judge the word of God. I think we say, well, yeah, okay. okay, guilty, not guilty. I will do it. I don't have to do it. I compromise it. I think we've taken liberty in our own minds to just decide what Yahweh said and what he did not say and whether we're going to choose to do it or not. We choose what is of God and not of God and therefore we choose what not to submit to and what to submit to. I will and I won't. I can't but I I could but I can't and I ain't. Maybe these people are just people pleasers who want the applause of people who always, you know, they'll say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, but they're always doing their little dance in front of people or trying to be this and show this off and all that. Listen, it's a complex thing, but it's the truth. I think this, I think it's more of not just a people pleaser, it's true. And that people pleaser is me. I'm a people. So I become a self pleaser. I am really just trying to please myself. These Israelites were mad and they got mad at Nehemiah for trying to bring truth to them. But the fact is, maybe these men who were in leadership, as Israel, the people begin to clamor for more and more liberty, and and ask him to and said, "Stop being so narrow-minded here. That's just you know, we we can't we can't you give me a little room here? Can't we just make an exception for me here? Do I really have to do that?" And you see, marrying people and foreigners. Maybe, maybe this, these people won't stand up for Yahweh. Paul declared that this is going to happen in the last days, and in the last days has been here ever since the birth of the church. We have these teachers. Your internal dialogue, your fear, and your unbelief is the worst teacher that you have that gives that itch, that, that relieves the itching in your ears. It will justify you to do what God says is wrong. Or maybe the fact is this: maybe these leaders were just hypocrites. Talking about, I believe this, but when it comes down to it, not really submitting to it. Whatever the reason, I'm going to tell you that these men in leadership did all through the Bible. You and I can be assured that what he did and what they did contributed to the sins of the rest of the people. Like leader, like people. Decline will happen. You're going to be a leader. We have to ask ourselves this question. What kind of example are we setting? Because if coming to church ain't important to you, why would anybody else think it's important? If tithing isn't important, why would anybody else, to you, why would you think it's important? If, if not being on fire for God, well, you know, I'm just kind of casual, come in. People who are true leaders set the tone for the house of God and the tone for everybody else that comes into this church. And when leaders are no longer growing in the zeal for Christ, you're going to have a lukewarm church. The leaders aren't growing in the knowledge of the scriptures and have a zeal for to learn and to know. And how can we how, how do we think the un, where are the ungodly going to come? Leadership sets the ceiling, the tone, and the direction of the congregation. Leadership sets the ceiling, the tone, and the direction. 1 Corinthians 15 58. Would you put that up there while I refresh myself? Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Not retiring from the work of the Lord or avoiding the work of the Lord, but abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in Yahweh. We should never be lacking in zeal. Where is the zeal that consumes us about the purpose of God's house and God's word and his work? Nehemiah 13 also says this. He said, Look, where's the, where's the church? Where's the, where's the worship? Where's, where's, what's going on here? This is what he said. He said, Look, the Israelites stopped supporting the Levites. So guess what they did? They quit. Do you know that 1,700 pastors a month in America quit. Just use that. I mean, I know people quit their other jobs too. But I'm just saying that because they, people don't understand. They're afraid to preach tithing and offering and say you're cursed if you don't. They get hired by these boards who want to pay them a salary and make them a hireling. No wonder they're suicidal. Because helps is trying to rule over governments. And that's an upside down government. It's a Jezebel spirit when helps. And this ain't got nothing to do with just females, okay? Jezebel just happened to be one. But when helps tries to rule over governments. This is what Nehemiah said. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. So Malachi, who was prophesying during this period of time, Yahweh spoke through him in chapter 3, verse 8, and he said, look, the people are robbing God through their tithes and offerings. They have quit giving to God. This is a sign of our spiritual decline when we stop giving to God. Number one, when we compromise as being leaders, and number two, when we stop giving. It's a common sign of spiritual decline. i tell you what I do. I don't really, you know, I haven't, over the years, I don't look to see what people's gifts are and how, how much they give a year and all that kind of stuff until they come in and their marriage is in big trouble. Or they're just always struggling with something. Maybe sickness, maybe it's just, you know, uh, our internal dialogue maybe it's just our work we don't get along with people whatever it may be i can go and that's when i go and look and i can almost tell you that almost every time people who used to do quit and it's become token because if you're not fighting to get ahead by default you are falling away i don't care people have gotten mad at me we're talking about money but the truth is what you really love is what you put your money into huh you love books? Buy books. Movies? Go to movies. Food? Oh, yeah. Anything else? The Eternal Revenue Service. Oh, look you your spending. Look at your credit card bills. Look at your bank statements. You fall in love with a girl. You're spending all this money on her, and then all of a sudden she dumps you. You quit spending money. What's this? Oh, Johnny's just sent me some more stuff. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I broke up with him 20 years ago, but he still sends me stuff every month. And you know, Yahweh is no longer your priority. You're going to find it harder and harder to support His work with your finances. That's what happened to Israel. Israel ceased be, had ceased to be their Yahweh had ceased to be Israel's priority. And guess what they did? How do we know? Cut Him off. They quit giving. When they were on fire for God, though, listen to what it said in Nehemiah 12. When they were on fire for God, sometimes people have to, have to be in real trouble before they get on fire for God. Look, I don't want to be at the bottom of the barrel or at the end of my rope again just so God can get my attention. And on that day they offered great sacrifices. They offered what? Great sacrifices. Rejoicing because God had given them what? Great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruit, and tithes. And from the fields around the town, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. When you're on fire for God, there's great giving, there's great sacrifices. And it, watch, with joy! And there's some people, man, getting the time for them, I'm just like, please, just keep it. As they come down, we used to, you know, bring it down here. They'd hand it to you, you know, and you grab it and they wouldn't let go. It's like, when we're on fire for God, we give joyfully. But when our relationship begins to decline and cool off, we start to give less and less until ultimately all our giving altogether ceases or it becomes that little token thing. When you are growing and increasing your love with somebody, you naturally just want to give. Not only just financially, but you want to share all good things with that person. I got to tell you, when you have grandchildren, or when your children were small, and now you have grandchildren, when you go to the store, guess what you do? There, there, there's not a need. You go, when you have that little grandbaby, the first thing you do, you go straight to the baby section. And you want to buy that baby. A bunch of stuff you want to buy him a little georgia bulldog shirt or a gator hat you know you're trying to influence them already what can i buy what can i get this we get on amazon now you know oh, oh yeah i want that way we get we get little onesies for them i hate it my wife used to buy my sons she said that's a bubble i said well i don't like bubba in a bubble it's like a onesie, but it was like, oh, look at these rattlers. Look at this toy. I mean, you can't buy, The kid can't set up. Why do you get him a tricycle? Hats. Oh, my God. Y'all ever, ever seen my granddaughters when they were little, all these great kids? They, I don't know how they developed their brain because they, they, my wife and, and Misty would always put those rubber band things on their head that would cut off the circulation to their brain. Y'all ever seen them? I mean, they all had this hat on. I mean, they had this thing. You take take it off, it got this indentation around their head. But they got 20 of them. Oh, here's one I remember. Bows. And not little bows. Huge bows. Poppy girl head used to be that big around. And that bow would be that big. And Yahweh knows I ain't exaggerating that. Big old bow. Poppy girl sat in there. Bow on her head, stinking up her pants, you know. She's like crying. Big bow. Can I tell you that a bunch of stuff like that at that age in that stage of their life, it didn't mean nothing to her. Look at all the toys you got in here. She's she can't roll over yet. But we buying her stuff. She's not he wasn't even able to say thank you. I know all this stuff. No, when he was a baby, I bought him stuff, and he never once said, "Hey, thanks, Poppy." He just looked at me and spit up stuff. But somehow, me giving to them wasn't fulfilling their joy; it was fulfilling my joy. Unless well, baby bought it, then I would get depressed because of the money she's spending like that. Did y'all got my point? It's a natural thing when you really love somebody, and that includes giving to Yahweh and his work. You're going to give if you love something. If you don't love it, you ain't going to give to it, and that's the telltale sign, and you can't hide it. He said, look, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. He said that wherever one puts his money, it's going to show where your heart is. What do you really love? Come on, just can you be honest with yourself and just say, look, honestly, I don't really love God. As much as I love, all the above. Now, that don't mean you have to spend the whole amount of money on God equal to your house payment or something like that. Y'all know what I'm saying. What we spend our money on is an indicator of our spiritual health. And I believe it's even proof of whether we have true repentance or not. I think the Bible's clear. Look at John the Baptist. Can I, I want to read you this. John the Baptist, when he called to Israel. Remember that time, Joel, I was teaching and I said, John the Baptist told the Pharisees, "Go, you go bring me forth fruit, meat for repentance. And uh, Brian Hart answered, the, he, I said, anybody know what that means? He said, yeah. He wanted him to go get him some, a basket full of fruit and meat. I said, good answer, Brian. <laughs> Listen to this. When he said this, the crowd asked him this. "What shall This is uh, Luke 3. What shall we do then? John said, now watch this. I want you to go bring me fruits worthy of repentance. This is how we prove we've repented. That's what John the Baptist said. Not just cry and say, oh, my daughter, God, I'm sorry. I'll hear my cigarettes. I'm throwing them away. I'm not going to drink no more, God. Oh, God, I'm going to be a good boy now and be a good girl now. I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. All right. But let's find out what the fruit is and the proof of whether you're, you're re, that's something worthy of true repentance. Let like me say, like, you have a car. You got a brand new car, and you say, Johnny, I'm going to sell you this car. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you $10. Well, that's not worthy of the car. He said, okay, what should we do? How do I bring forth fruit? What is the fruit that is proof that, that uh, and is worthy of the repentance that I've received and proof of my repentance? If you got two tunics, share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. So tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they ask, what should we do? Nobody says that. They want to always ask what Yahweh's going, what Yahshua's going to do for them. What's Jesus going to do for you? No. The question is, what you going to do for him? You say, what do y'all give away at church? We don't give away at church. He said, one thing, our lives. You don't, we don't, you don't come to get at church. You're supposed to come and give. And people don't do that. They think they're supposed to come to church and just receive. Ignorant of the fact that in God's economy, there is no way to receive from God unless you first give. Okay, what should we do? He said, you don't collect more than you're required to. Some soldiers asked him, what should we do? Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So what is he saying? What, what is fruits worthy for repentance? To the wealthy, he said, share. To the tax collector, he said, don't cheat and don't collect more money than you should. To the soldiers, He said, don't extort money and be content with your pay. It was interesting to me. He didn't say, well, you need to pray 24-7. What you need to do, every single fruit that had to do with true repentance, which really means true salvation, was shown in their finances. Now, I'm sorry if you don't like that. I'm sorry if you think I talk about money all the time because I don't. But this is January, and the Internal Revenue Service is fixing to audit us. How we handle our money shows whether we truly love, love Yahweh or not, period. It locates where our true relationship with Yahweh lies. Israel, man, that spiritual decay was shown in their lack of giving. 2 Corinthians 8 7, if you'll put that up for me. See, I think we should grow in faith, don't you? Don't you think our faith should grow? Don't you want your faith to grow? I want, my, I, want my, I want to have more faith today than I had yesterday. And in my speech, I'm going to grow in my speech. I want to make sure that, that I watch that, that tongue that's able to burn down my crop. And I'm able to, to have control of my mouth. And, and you know, uh, it's like sometimes, whether I like to wear a, a mask or not, sometimes I think it's good for me to have a mask over my mouth. I think we all should probably wear masks over our mouths to keep us from saying stupid stuff. I want, my, I want to excel. I want to grow in my knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And I want, to be in, I want to do it with complete earnestness and sincerity and in my love. Because Yahweh loves me. Paul said, good, 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 good. But let's see also that ye abound in this grace also. In the giving, the grace of giving, we should be abounding, not withholding. In the garden, I think Eve, the reason she got tricked is because, one of the reasons, it's because she thought Yahweh was withholding stuff from her. Yeah, he's withholding the bad stuff. It was only one stupid tree. But you can eat all the others. That's not withholding. How many of you know? All right, then. Here we got, we got a bunch of food on the table. Now, this is cyanide. This is rat poison right here. Now, don't eat that one. Well, man, you, you, why can't I have that? Why can't I have the rat poison? Well, you can. We should seek to grow in our giving to Yahweh. It should be more and more, more and more in our heart. This makes perfect sense because giving is an indicator for our love for anybody and anything including Yahweh. And since our love for for Yahweh must always be growing, then our giving should be growing. And i got to tell you, I have never, ever been ashamed to tell people to give more because I have always seen in their life they receive abundantly more too. I can tell you story after story after story. But when we start desiring to give less, it's a sign of spiritual decline. That's what happened to Israel. And it will happen to us. All right. I got one more thing. Let me go through it real quick. In Nehemiah 13, we see the people stop practicing the Sabbath. Listen to this. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into the Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing we bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath of the people. You know, the Sabbath was meant to be a time of rest. But it wasn't just so we can relax. It was a time to where we are to focus on Yahweh and the work of Yahweh instead of the, on work and other things. However, at this point, people just quit going to church. They compromised with the world. They bought, they sold on the Sabbath day. They made money. They had some, everything more important. Instead of focusing on Yahweh and worshiping Him, they focused on their work and the making of money and, and other things instead of Him. And I'm sure that these people had plenty of excuses to not go to the house of God on the Sabbath. Probably because the same reason they, they changed Passover to Easter, because it was just more convenient. Look, Saturday is when everybody's at the market. All the customers are coming in. I have to be there to support my family. The reason I lose, I lose money and customers. It's easy to rationalize thing, and it's the same for us. It's easy to rationalize not coming to church. But guess what, guys? I'm sorry. They don't make it right. They don't make it right. What can I tell you? What can I do? Say, I understand. I can't do it. I can't be a true man of God that really loves you and holds up God's word and tell you that it's okay. I got that off my chest. And I know you want me to, but I'm not. People use all kinds of excuses to keep them from worshiping with, it, with us. Keep us from reading the Bible, serving the church. We're too busy to serve the church. We're too busy to pick up a piece of paper or a piece of something. in the, Oh, We're just too busy. Aren't you glad I'm talking to y'all? I'm talking to all those people that ain't here this morning. I want you to hear what Yahweh's saying to us. That was a sign of spiritual decline with Israel. And it's a sign of spiritual decline in us. When there's a spiritual decline in our life we will find that there's been also a decline in our time given to worshiping Yahweh corporately and individually uh, look i think these are three easy signals and they're they're not hard to they're not hard to miss and it's easy to get in denial and compromise and say, well, but for me, but it's me, Johnny. Or Johnny, I can say, hey, this is me. I can just do this. Or Wait, We can say that, but the fact is, I know these signs. I've seen them over and over again. I see them, people say, yeah, but that's not going to happen to me. And you can't say that because in your lukewarm state, deception comes. And the next thing you know, it's too late because you have gone downstream. And you, he's removed you out of the candlestick. You think we can just play with God and that God is, I mean, no, that's all we think. See, I think it's pretty sad that they're corrupting the Constitution of the United States. If people continue, this country goes, they're going to replace it. That ain't near as bad as when we want to replace the Word of God with false doctrine. And we want to think it's okay. If the worst thing happens to us is if our country crumbles and we turn to communism, that ain't as bad as when you get a depart from me, you worker of iniquity. What's going on in Washington is nothing and doesn't come close to the importance of are you in spiritual decline or not? Democracy is about every 250 years. I mean, they tell the cycle, here it is. And it's kind of similar because it goes from slavery, bondage, out of that, into liberty, Prosperity. And it goes back to the same old cycle because it's the fall of humanity. Some people start going to church sporadically. Some people start going to church altogether. But I assure you, these three things are the signs of spiritual decline. If you'll consider it, I think we should judge ourselves by it. i tell you what, you, we're going to have to fight against it because it's the spirit of this age. So you've got to fight it. You can't just say, oh, it gets dark early, you know, and come home and kind of... Unless I want to do something else, let me tell you what you got to do. You got to work it out. It's a work. It's a workout. How do I know that? Hey, will you go to Paul? What Paul said in First Timothy four seven. Do you know that this is a workout? These three things that I'm talking about—that serving God—is a workout. You know what? It, it takes blood, sweat, and tears. When you work out, you just don't get on the. It's a workout. How do I know that? But refuse profane and wives fables, but. Wise Fables. And it? look what it says. Read it. And exercise. I told you it's a workout. It says work out your salvation. Hey, you got to exercise rather unto godly. you got to exercise yourself. You can't just lay around and wait for all this stuff. It is an exercise. Oh, I think I'm going to wearing some, some of those kind of clothes, workout clothes. Spandex. <laughs> How about me wearing some Spandex. You didn't mean like, you mean like, oh. Without this exercise and disciplining ourselves for worship, we can't be godly people. Some people come in here, you couldn't move them with any kind of nothing when God comes in here whatever. They don't even, they're not aware of it. God moving by spirit and we're like, huh? Nehemiah returned. He was hard on those people. You leave here today, say, well, at least he didn't pull our hair out. However, Let me tell you how sweet Jesus said to do it. How we handle this. Nehemiah, man, he was hard, hard, hard on him. He and he he seemed very I guess to say he seemed unkind would be an understatement. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. This is what Yahshua said. I know we read this poetically and theologically or whatever and whatever, but I want to read it to you in real time. Are you ready? If, it's, if your eye bothering you, well, could you put some salve on it maybe? Oh, she would said, pluck it out. Look, that didn't, that, that, oh, wrong one. Listen to this, and cast it from thee. <laughs> Listen to this. What's the next one? For it is profitable for thee that thy members should perish. Wait a minute, I'm missing one. Okay, yeah, okay. It's profitable for thee that one of your members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. (laughs) He said, if your hand bothers you, massage it. He said, cut the damn thing off. Can I, can it? look, it's your eye that's the problem. Fuck it. Pluck it and throw it away. I know we've read it over the years and we've watered that down, but I want to tell you, I, I just can't emphasize enough right now. If you can grasp what he's really saying, the importance of it, it's better for you to, to pluck that out and do the right thing than it is not to. And not only just not do it, but you better be radical and aggressive about it. You've got to get drastic about trying to get rid of this complacency and compromise and lukewarmness in your life. Are you in trouble? Even though it, life may be going good, you struggle with lust, cut it off. Get rid of whatever's leading you into sin. Cut off your cable. Cut off your internet. If you guys are just and we say, "Oh we're okay, we' going. Yeah, you start talking about cutting off cable, man. people have pluck the eye out. If you have a relationship or a friendship that's leading you to sin, you need to separate yourself and cut that thing off and stay away from it. And anybody, even if they're in this house, even if they say they're leadership who are lukewarm and they are influencing you to be lukewarm, cut it off. Don't take the call. Don't take the text. No, no. You've got to be drastic in seeking to get rid of sin in, our, in your life that is the cause of spiritual decline because I'm going to tell you what, if you ain't killing sin, sin be killing you and don't worry about being successful or not. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I'm trying to be successful. No, he didn't say, well done, thou good and successful servant. He's looking for people who are faithful, people who are faithful, not successful. We must be faithful. In our hatred of sin and faithful in in the battling of this compromise. Galatians, he said, look, don't be weary in this. Don't get weary in well-doing. If it wasn't wearisome, why would he tell us not to get weary? I just want peace, Johnny. I just want some I don't want to be bothered. I just want some peace. Well, guess what? You ain't gonna get it. You ain't gonna get it. You can't. Your peace is all from the inside. You're not gonna get peace. You can't blame everybody else on what happens to you and what you think and you're uh, you can't blame them for you not obeying God he said for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up faithful if you have ears today I pray that you will hear what I'm saying what the Spirit of God is saying, what the good Word of God is saying. Let me speak into your life today. Let me be the agent of change in your life today, just like Nehemiah was to the nation of Israel. Let's get this junk out of the house of God, and let's get on fire for God once again, and let's put Him first in our life, and let's be great for the glory of God. God bless you all.